Congressional and Executive Enforcement. As its first enforcement legislation, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866, guaranteeing black American citizenship and equal protection of the law, though not the right to vote. The amendment was also used as authorizing several Freedmen's Bureau bills. President Andrew Johnson vetoed these bills, but Congress overrode his vetoes to pass the Civil Rights Act and the second Freedmen's Bureau bill. Proponents of the act, including Trumbull and Wilson, argued that Section 2 of the 13th Amendment authorized the federal government to legislate civil rights for the states. Others disagreed, maintaining that inequality conditions were distinct from slavery. Seeking more substantial justification, and fearing that future opponents would again seek to overturn the legislation, Congress and the states added additional protections to the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, 1868, defining citizenship and mandating equal protection under the law, and the 15th Amendment, 1870, banning racial voting restrictions. The Freedmen's Bureau enforced the amendment locally, providing a degree of support for people subject to the black codes. Reciprocally, the 13th Amendment established the Bureau's legal basis to operate in Kentucky. The Civil Rights Act circumvented racism in local jurisdictions by allowing blacks access to the federal courts. The Enforcement Acts of 1870 and 1871 and the Civil Rights Act of 1875, in combating the violence and intimidation of white supremacy, were also part of the effort to end slave conditions for Southern blacks. However, the effect of these laws waned as political will diminished and the federal government lost authority in the South, particularly after the Compromise of 1877 ended Reconstruction in exchange for a Republican presidency. Peonage Law Southern business owners sought to reproduce the profitable arrangement of slavery with a system called peonage, in which disproportionately black workers were entrapped by loans and compelled to work indefinitely due to the resulting debt. Peonage continued well through Reconstruction and ensnared a large proportion of black workers in the South. These workers remained destitute and persecuted, forced to work dangerous jobs and further confined legally by the racist Jim Crow laws that governed the South. Peonage differed from chattel slavery because it was not strictly hereditary and did not allow the sale of people in exactly the same fashion. However, a person's debt, and by extension a person, could still be sold, and the system resembled antebellum slavery in many ways. With the Peonage Act of 1867, Congress abolished the holding of any person to service or labor under the system known as peonage, specifically banning the voluntary or involuntary service or labor of any persons as peons, in liquidation of any debt or obligation, or otherwise. In 1939, the Department of Justice created the Civil Rights Section, which focused primarily on First Amendment and labor rights. The increasing scrutiny of totalitarianism in the lead-up to World War II brought increased attention to issues of slavery and involuntary servitude, abroad and at home. The U.S. sought to counter foreign propaganda and increase its credibility on the race issue by combating the Southern peonage system. Under the leadership of Attorney General Francis Biddle, the Civil Rights Section invoked the constitutional amendments and legislation of the Reconstruction era as the basis for its actions. In 1947, the DOJ successfully prosecuted Elizabeth Ingalls for keeping domestic servant Dora L. Jones in conditions of slavery. The court found that Jones was a person wholly subject to the will of defendant, that she was one who had no freedom of action and whose person and services were wholly under the control of defendant and who was in a state of enforced compulsory service to the defendant. The 13th Amendment enjoyed a swell of attention during this period, but from Brown v. Board of Education, 1954, until Jones v. Alfred H. Meyer Company, 1968, it was again eclipsed by the 14th Amendment. Penal Labor Exemption The 13th Amendment exempts penal labor from its prohibition of forced labor. This allows prisoners who have been convicted of crimes, not those merely awaiting trial, 
to be required to perform labor or else face punishment while in custody. Few records of the committee's deliberations during the drafting of the 13th Amendment survive, and the debate that followed both in Congress and in the state legislatures featured almost no discussion of this provision. It was apparently considered non-controversial at the time, or at least legislators gave it little thought. The drafters based the amendment's phrasing on the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, which features an identical exception. Thomas Jefferson authored an early version of that ordinance's anti-slavery clause, including the exception of punishment for a crime, and also sought to prohibit slavery in general after 1800. Jefferson was an admirer of the works of Italian criminologist Cesar Beccaria. Beccaria's on crimes and punishment suggested that the death penalty should be abolished and replaced with a lifetime of enslavement for the worst criminals, Jefferson likely included the clause due to his agreement with Beccaria. Beccaria, while attempting to reduce legal barbarism of the 1700s, considered forced labor one of the few harsh punishments acceptable. For example, he advocated slave labor as a just punishment for robbery, so that the thief's labor could be used to pay recompense to their victims and to society. Penal hard labor has ancient origins and was adopted early in American history, as in Europe, often as a substitute for capital or corporal punishment. Various commentators have accused states of abusing this provision to re-establish systems similar to slavery, or of otherwise exploiting such labor in a manner unfair to local labor. The Black Codes in the South criminalized vagrancy, which was largely enforced against freed slaves. Later, convict lease programs in the South allowed local plantations to rent inexpensive prisoner labor. While many of these programs have been phased out, leasing of convicts was forbidden by President Franklin Roosevelt in 1941, Prison labor continues in the U.S. under a variety of justifications. Prison labor programs vary widely. Some are uncompensated prison maintenance tasks, some are for local government maintenance tasks, some are for local businesses, and others are closer to internships. Modern rationales for prison labor programs often include reduction of recidivism and reacclimation to society. The idea is that such labor programs will make it easier for the prisoner upon release to find gainful employment rather than relapse to criminality. However, this topic is not well studied, and much of the work offered is so menial as to be unlikely to improve employment prospects. As of 2017, most prison labor programs do compensate prisoners, but generally with very low wages. What wages they do earn are often heavily garnished, with as much as 80% of a prisoner's paycheck withheld in the harshest cases. In 2018, artist and entertainer Kanye West advocated for repealing the 13th Amendment's exception for penal labor in a meeting with President Donald Trump, calling the exception a trapdoor. In late 2020, Senator Jeff Merkley, Dior, and Representative William Lacey Clay, Demo, introduced a resolution to create a new amendment to close this loophole. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.